Welcome, everybody, to nwczradio.com, Channel 1's Down the Rabbit Hole. It's good to have everybody along for this week's edition. My name is Big D. And I'm Brandon. And want to thank all of our carriers, the people who carry our program. Thanks to all of them. And remind you, you can email us at downtherh at protonmail.com. Downtherh at protonmail.com. And I got to tell you, Brandon, I learned something, well, a couple of new things from your midweek Uh-oh. podcast. Yeah. I did not realize that your first kiss was with your wife. Yeah. And I didn't realize uh <laughs> I didn't realize that whole story. We've known each other for a while now. I don't think I've ever heard that story. I'm surprised. It's a, yeah, it's one of those ones, yeah. When we were we, we when growing up, her one of my good friends she was good friends with one of my friends and we met probably when we were like ten or eleven. And then when we... we you guys like living my, on the same block? Were you going to the same school? No, she lived all the way... She lived in a complete t- another town over. Oh. It just happened to be that um, her mom and one of our friend's dads were like bar buddies. So, yeah, she would come over to have drinks with my friend's dad and her, her, her mom would. And then she would come with her. So, And I'd be over there hanging out. And we met probably 10 or 11. And then we, yeah, hung around in probably about... 13 i think we we dated the first time and kissed nice well a little bonus for the folks yep and then like yeah all of a sudden ran each other into a a tim mcgraw concert of all places so (laughs) hey it's nothing wrong with that tim mcgraw can sing he he can but it was kind of one of those things everyone's like you know because they know my it's not my type of music to listen to i'm 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 surprised you would i'm i'm surprised that you would be at a tim mcgraw concert have you seen the girls at a tim mcgraw concert i have i've been to them i was single I okay, was single, well, so, that explains yeah. that. It does. So, uh, Speaking of concerts, I do remember once that I was standing in line at a concert, and I can't yep. remember which one it was. I, was it might have been ELO? It was Poison. Was it Poison? It was Tesla, Poison, and Def Leppard. Oh, yeah. You're right. That is you are correct. I'm standing in line uh, at, I think, the T-shirt shack or whatever it was. Yep. I turn around, and I see your wife. 
mm-hmm. but we didn't know each other that well. Yeah. And I said, oh, hey, how's it going? And she said, good. I'm, I'm here with, uh, with Mike. And, <laughs> and I didn't know you by Mike at that point at all. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, Mike, Mike. And she goes, you know, Mike James. And I was trying to play it off, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good old Mike James. <laughs> and then she, it registered to her. And she's like, oh, you know, I was Brandon. I'm like, oh, yeah, Brandon. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. But that was I think that was the first time I heard your full real name. I forget sometimes that like when I do comedy and when I do this kind of stuff, I never use that name. So I even had it at one of the shows that I produce and I've been producing for over a year. Um I happened to hand her my you know, I for whatever reason she never actually looked at my like credit card when I handed her pay at the end of the night. And she looked. She's like, Why does your card say Mike James? <laughs> it's stolen. I'm like, that's because that's my name. She's like, no, you're Brandon. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> when I do comedy, yeah, Brandon. But yeah, I'm like, but my real name, there's like seven comedians named Mike James. So Well, that's yeah. the same thing with the mutual friend we have, Veg Joe. Yep. Vegetable Joe. I didn't know his real name until he handed me his credit card one day. And I was like, who's this? Yeah. He's like, that's me. I'm like, oh. So yeah. I learned some new things. Not just about Robin Hood, which was a great episode, because you know me, I'm a big fan of that this time period. Yeah. But also, <laughs> I learned some new stuff about you, so that was great. It was great, and I, I do have to admit, I did do research. Um, we did watch Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and then we did watch Men in Tights. So, <laughs> because you know, <laughs> when you're talking Robin Hood, those are the two go-to movies. You have to. So, yeah. All right. Well, today we are going to talk about. A third person, kind of the third person in the trinity of this whole thing, if you want to go that way. I mean, really, he is. It's one of those things when you think of medieval characters that really are questioned whether or not they're real or not. This is the third one. This is the third one. And probably the most misunderstood one, in my opinion. Yes. And I don't think a lot of people actually know a lot about this character other than that he's mystical, magical, and can do all kind of cool magic tricks and is very wise. But Merlin, Merlin the Magician, is a very unique character. He is, because it's one of those ones that with the other ones, we we kind of have most of their original story still stuck with it. You know, a lot of Arthur, a lot of Robin Hood, there was a little bit, you know, of twe- tweaks, and they made him more, you know, friendly and kid friendly and everything else and whatever but merlin don't stay with the story towards the end by the end it's just his magic and everything else it's nothing about where he came from who he was and some of the shocking things that i was like ah what (laughs) right and he's probably the most famous of all quote wizards in all of tv Mm -hmm. movies books and fantasy and everything Everybody knows who Merlin is. He's the great wizard. He's the greatest of all time wizard. The best ever. I mean, better than Harry Potter, obviously. But, I mean, the best one out there. And that's one of those things that, you know, everyone knows that. But, like I said, you know, we both said that nobody really knows who, where, where he came from. Right. And there's a lot of controversy as to where he started, how he started. Who does he belong to? Is he 
Irish? Is he Welsh? Is he British? Is he... There's lots of places that claim some sort of heritage to him. Depends on which story you're reading. Yes, it, it totally does. And his name, even his name is all over the place. So we're going to get into Merlin today because I think this is, uh, is going to be an interesting episode. And if you're not into, uh, I don't say medieval history and so forth, I still think you're going to find this fascinating because there's a chance that Merlin is the Antichrist. Yes. So you'll want to hang on if you're interested in any of that because there's a interesting story as to how Merlin got here and he may still be hanging around. Yeah, of course. This is one of the things I found a very interesting article that was talking about how a lot of the stories that, and we come back to Joffrey of Monmouth, um, a lot of the stuff came from him. Um, a lot of historians are actually coming back where they've said that Jeffrey of Monmouth was, you know, a lot of fantasy and everything else. And they're starting to say that they, they, they actually think it, he may have written from actual books and had stuff where he got information. It's all fantasy, of course, but his fantasy wasn't his. He'd gotten from other places. Oh, absolutely. And that's where Merlin started from. Yes. Yes. And, I mean, Merlin is not just a... A wizard. He was a fortune teller. He was a shapeshifter. Some levels he's associated with necromancy mm-hmm. and the dark arts. And then also there's the other side of it that claims that he was a wise and very faithful and devout Christian. And all of it basically, but all of them do focus around, focus around the fact that he was a counselor and, uh, you know, everything to... Uther Pendragon and Arthur, both. Well, let's start with the beginning. Let's start with kind of how we did with Arthur. I'm curious from your perspective growing up, how you viewed Merlin and what his role was in all of these tales. Like, how did you see Merlin? Growing up, Merlin, to me, he was, I mean, in all reality, he was the hero of them all. He was the one, he was the guy behind the scenes pulling the strings, making all the making all these great heroes great in my mind. And that's kind of how I always saw him. I mean, because he was all in the background of these stories with Arthur and everybody else. But he was always the one that, you know, when Arthur got in trouble and everything went to crap, there's, you know, Merlin to save the day. Yeah, I felt the same way because I always saw Merlin as kind of how people see Gandalf right yes he was wise he was he was very slow to anger he he was he seemed to have a lot of information that nobody else had he was able to impart wisdom and patience and he was able to sort of manipulate things in the right direction should he need to and was always seemed to be on the scene when it was when he was most needed like when when things were at its apex where all hope was lost or things were going south Mm -hmm. merlin was there to sort of kind of like you said save the day in a way or at least provide the path for the heroes which would be arthur or lancelot or whoever it happened to be merlin was never the one at the end of the day on the top of the hill receiving the praise. No. 
But yet he was the one who facilitated all of this stuff. And I always saw him as kind of a father figure, you know, kind of a Christ figure. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise. Let's talk about how Merlin got here. Yeah. I would say to this, one thing that I always saw him too was he was, like I said, the, the father figure, all that kind of stuff. He was, in my mind, a lot of ways, almost like the narrator. Like he knew what was going on and he was just stepping in when he needed to, to say, hey, you need to go this way a little bit. Let me help you along and nudging them in the direction that he knew they needed to be. Well, I mean, let's be honest. The Gandalf and uh, you can go into all the wise sages of Star Wars and all those. They all came from Merlin. Yeah. All of those guys. All, all those characters started with Merlin. Yeah. And Merlin had an inauspicious beginning, let's say. Yes. According to everything that I've read, and I've read several accounts, that his, uh, his birth was basically, it goes like this. The demons of hell annoyed by Christ's interference with them. And I think this was supposedly during the big battle when Satan got a little bit uppity. Or he got too uppity, and, and there was this battle between the, the demons and the angels, and so, or the yeah. angels were fighting. Anyway... They plotted this revenge on Christ, and they were going to do it through this birth of an Antichrist, or the Antichrist. So they sent the devil, or in some accounts, a devil, so it could have just been a demon, to impregnate the princess Dyfed in Wales. And so the whole idea was that this baby was going to be an Antichrist. But when the child was born, their evil plans uh, miscarried as the devout mother finds a priest to baptize the kid before he is pulled into their evil grips. And this is Merlin, a child prodigy with magical powers, the ability to foretell the future, and attributes that he decides to use on the side of good rather than evil. And then most accounts find his mom becoming a nun. After this episode, most people do not know this. A Merlin is basically is the result of heavenly being, we'll just say, and an earthly mother. Yeah. He was the intention was to for him to be evil beyond all belief and be an antichrist, or some claim the antichrist. But his yep. mom figured it out, had him baptized. She becomes a nun, and he decides through his life to use his powers for good. Yeah. In one of the stories that I read, that when he was born, because like in that time, any woman that had a child out of wedlock, of course, was no bueno, and usually would be you know killed, or you know, well killed. Um, that the priest saved her. That when he the child was born, that it came out as a demon. That it was grotesque. And there are drawings and paintings, Welsh paintings from back then, dated thirteen sixteen, that have these. Yeah, that he was this demonic thing that was born. But then after they baptized him, he turned into a normal baby. And they raised him normally, letting him know pretty much who he was and what he was. And he made the choice because we as humans, and that's what he was. Mm -hmm. You know, he was human, half human at least, had free will. Right. And he used that free will to choose 
to not be evil, but because he was born before he was baptized, he had the demonic powers. That's where a lot of people say he, he got all of his power from. All the ability that he had to do these things that we talk about later was because even though he was baptized, he chose and used his free will to choose to be good, but he still kept the powers. Right, and what I couldn't find th this is where merlin kind of disappears right so we have the story of his birth and every all accounts seem to agree that this is the story yes i didn't find any other contradicting old, or different accounts i didn't find any other accounts or anything the one thing i kept hearing though a lot of people can making mistakes saying that his mother was a nun and was impregnated and from everything that i could find no she was a commoner and supposedly a virgin. Yes. And a commoner. But after he was born, she chose to become a nut. Wouldn't you? I mean, probably, if you, yeah. If you, if you knew that you just gave birth to supposedly an antichrist, I think I'd run yeah. to the church too. Yeah. But he sort of disappears, so we don't know who raised him. Was he raised in a monastery? Was he raised by his mom? Was he raised by a gaggle of nuns? We don't know. We don't. There was a couple that I saw that kind of, you know, I mean, didn't really hint at it. But I mean, you know, once again, not to like completely go towards Jesus, but it's kind of the same thing that happens in the Bible. Jesus, we get Jesus born and then boom, all of a sudden. I think what the next time we hear from him in the Bible, he's a teenager. There are through these stories we, we talked about this, Arthur, we, and we could you could have talked about it. Same thing with uh, Robin Hood. Mm -hmm. And with Merlin, there's a lot of allegory going on here with, uh, with Bible stories. Yes. There's no doubt about it. No. Not and we know that that part of the world lived on stories. They love to tell stories. And a lot of this, too, like I mentioned, we mentioned with King Arthur and I mentioned with Robin Hood. A lot of this, too, people don't realize it was oral history until it was finally written down. So it's kind of like the phone game. Absolutely. You know, there's things that are added to make it, you know, make it seem more interesting and more amazing. But the one thing that was always interesting to me on this, though, is with Merlin, that part never changes on any version I, ever, I read. It was always pretty much that his mother, there was no man, there was nothing. It was a demon impregnated her. He was the Antichrist. And she has a name. Yeah. Which a lot of times we don't even have that. Robin Hood. We don't know who Robin Hood's parents were. Robin Hood just kind of shows up. Yeah. And like I mentioned, it sounds like there's a bunch of people that were attributed to that one. But Right. But I mean, you know, every movie just starts with Robin Hood showing up kind of out of nowhere. Yeah. Anyway, so Merlin does finally appear. And according to most things that I, I could kind of narrow down, he first appears following the massacre of the British chieftains by the Saxon leader Hengist in the treacherous Night of the Long Knives. And this is uh, when the British king Vortigern flees to Wales, where he tries to build a strong tower to protect himself. This is, this is awesome right here. I love this. Oh, yeah. This is, this is my, one of my favorite ones, because it's one of the things, the first time with Merlin, where you kind of see his... He was kind of an asshole. <laughs> so, he's, so this king... This British king, Vortigern, he's every night, he's trying to build uh, this tower. Every night when they would get done, 
mysteriously, the foundations would crumble. They couldn't figure it out. It was like either he had bad masons or they were on bad ground, but it doesn't matter. Every day they would try to build this, start this tower, and then when they were done overnight, it would crumble. And this wizard, <laughs> the child who has no mortal father, as they call him, this is Merlin, he's found and he's brought to Vortigern. Well, that's the one thing you, you, you missed, though. It was the counselors told him that the only way they can make this foundation work was they needed the blood Right. Of a child, a fatherless child to mix into the mortar. Right. So we come back once again, always with the, 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 the kings and queens on killing the children. So they wanted to kill him, use his blood, mix it into the mortar, and that would make it work. True. Yes. And then so Merlin shows up <laughs> and he is able to see a pool beneath the tower. So apparently... Underneath the tower, there's, it's just all liquid. So, yeah. again, he had really, really bad builders who couldn't see this. However, though, in the pool, he sees two sleeping dragons. This Merlin sees this, one white, one red. And he explains that the white dragon, which represents the Saxons, will triumph over the red dragon, which are the British and then he enters a trance and foretells the future of the Britons to the end of time, predicting the coming of a great king by the name of Arthur. Yes. So that was kind of a, that's kind of a funny story, though. It is, but I mean, it, it's too... Maybe that's why that king was getting his ass whooped. Yeah. And it, this is one that popped up in Jeffrey Monmouth. Jeffrey Monmouth, Monmouth, he even goes as far to say, like, pretty much when... when they bring Merlin to Vortigern, and Vortigern says, hey, we got to kill you because we need to put you in the mortar. And he's like, well, that doesn't sound very intelligent. And pretty much tells him, like, that doesn't sound right. Well, let me talk to these, you know, whatever the, the counselors that are telling him to do this. And once he talks to him, he's like, no, 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 no. The problem is, is there's, there's water under there. You need to drain the water. And there's two dragons. Tells him that whole thing. And then, like, basically makes the counselors look stupid. And then Vortigern has the counselors all killed. Right, <laughs> like really, you tried to have me kill a little boy just because you didn't know the answer. Well, yeah, couldn't they just like? I mean, I guess they had. Couldn't they just draw blood? Why not? You know, that's the other thing. It had to be the blood of a, a, a fatherless child, which it sounds like it's one of those things. Like one of those things when you tell your kids like you don't want to do something. When you can finally do this, we can do it because you never think they're gonna find it, and then all they follow this child and you're like oh well shit this is uh, i think well. up to this point in history there had been one yes fatherless child which yeah. would have been christ so that's where we get sort of the christ figure out of that another time merlin shows up is known as the giant's dance you're familiar with this i don't remember this one I, I don't think i saw that one well the giant's dance was basically when merlin single-handedly transported a ring of magical stones, which he called the Giant's okay. Dance, from yep, Ireland. I know what you're talking about. I didn't, see, I didn't see it as the Giant's Dance, but yeah, I know, it's what, now I know the story. Yeah, so he transported these stones to Wiltshire, to Salisbury Plain, and built Stonehenge by himself. Yep. So He just made gravity not exist. Well, when you have that kind of powers, you know... According to one article I read, it said the earliest surviving picture of Stonehenge shows Merlin helping to place the huge stones. 
It's a copy of the Roman de Brut, a verse chronicle of British history by poet from Jersey named Wace, W-A-C-E, written in Anglo-Norman French. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at it right now, and it is. It shows Merlin, who's suddenly a giant. <laughs> he's, like, yeah. huge. And uh, he's placing the stones up on, on top for them. So I guess Merlin kind of was could have been whatever he wanted to be. Could have been he could be a shapeshifter. He could change size. He could be strong. He could move them by mental telepathy or however he wanted to do it. Because he was Merlin, he could do whatever he wanted. From one of the when that one too is it basically they went up there because but it was Ireland, right, where they were at. Yes, they, they took the stones from Ireland. That he just went up there and basically set a spell, and they all became. There's no weight to them. No, they were floating rocks. So they're just floating rocks. So they were able to travel them from, bring them from Ireland down to you know England very easily. But then once they got there, he made the spell go away, and suddenly they weighed things after they were already there. So what I want to know is, is was did you know? There's missing time periods of Merlin. Did he jet over to help with the pyramids or the Sphinx or Probably. some of the other great wonders? Was he there? He blasted off Bermuda, to Bermuda. <laughs> I mean, Haven't you seen Sword in the Stone? <laughs> That's what he does in Sword in the Stone. He blasts off to Bermuda. Yeah, well. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I mean it's he, one of those things. There's a bunch of them that are weird things that suddenly disappear, and it's like, yeah, maybe he did go help him build it. The, right, maybe he just, you know, that's such a great feat. I mean, maybe he had to rest because he was using all of his powers and he had to regenerate. I don't know. Then, according to legend, the next thing that he did was basically... Uh, orchestrate the conception, birth, and education of King Arthur. Which we talked about during King Arthur, how he, you know, made, you know, Uther Pendragon look and, you know, basically become Gorlis of Cornwall so that he could sleep with, you know, Gorlis's wife. I thought this was interesting. According to one account, it says, One day, Merlin appears in the form of a young boy to Arthur, who is out hunting in the forest, revealing that Arthur is the son of King Uther and of Egraine. Later, Merlin changes into an old man, and he prophesies that Mordred, the son who Arthur has conceived with his half-sister Morgais, or Mo- I don't know how you pronounce that, uh, will one day It depends on which him. ones you read. It's, yeah, it's M-O-R-G-A-U-S-E, Morgais. Anyway, will one day destroy his father and the court at Camelot. Mm-hmm. So apparently Merlin can also now change his appearance. There was a lot of that. I read a lot of that where he could change his appearance. I mean, how many, once again, have you seen Sword in the Stone? But um, Well, I have, but he was a, using disguises. Well, no, in Sword in the Stone, he literally turns into a squirrel. But, <laughs> you talking about the cartoon? Butt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, about the cartoon. Yeah, he, that's the best true. one, man. You didn't grow up with that one? That was the best one. No, Dude, but I, I mean, saw, there's the a last lot. time I saw Sword in the Stone, because I'm much more of a reader, was yeah. probably when I was a kid. Maybe See, my, when my I maybe I showed my young daughters. I can't remember, but it's been a long time since I've seen Sword in the Stone. My kids love it. So, but I think it's because I did, because I've always been fascinated with that story. But um, with him, there was a lot of him changing. There was disguises, but then some of them you read, like, you know, the 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 whole thing with you know, changing Uther into, you know, the Cornwall was, I mean, he made him him. 
he literally turned him into the man. So, I mean, there's a lot of stories I read where some of them, it's just, like I said, it's just disguises. Other ones, like, he literally shapeshifts. Well, I saw one where he changes himself into a deer, and he gets served mm-hmm. up at a dinner. Oh, I didn't get that far in it. Whoa. And later he returned as a wild man to interpret uh, the emperor's dream. That This is Caesar. Yeah. So he, he was a deer served up at Caesar's dinner. And then later turns up as this wild man. Also, according to another article, or this, this historian, he said, Merlin remains an unpredictable character with strange habits and a menacing laugh that announces his sometimes macabre intentions. So a lot of times he would basically tell people, this is what I'm going to do. Huh. He also became obsessed with the fairy huntress Nanani and performed bizarre stunts for her that included setting two harpists alight with sulfur, saying that they are evil sorcerers. Whoa. So he had a he had a mean streak. Wasn't well, Nanini, isn't that also the, the lady of the lake? Yes. No, okay. In the end, she became, in a lot of stories, his downfall. Yeah, and, and a lot of stories, she is the one he becomes infatuated isn't that how it always is your, your hero becomes infatuated with a woman and she ruins him um again let's go it. we can go back to the bible yeah you had david you had samson you I mean you could go on and on and on yeah. solomon abraham a lot of a lot of the great figures of the bible especially of the old testament the downfall was their desire for either a woman or a woman they weren't supposed to have I mean, that was Uther Pendragon. That was a lot of them. And I mean, that was, you know, with Merlin, he fell for the Lady of the Lake, who basically turned that against him. And I mean, in many stories, she, like you said, is his downfall. Like, not just to the point that makes him do. She literally is his downfall. She she kills him. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll get into that when we get into the demise of of Merlin. It is interesting to me, though, that a lot of this stuff does go back to this Jeffrey Monmouth Mm-hmm. So I was doing a little bit of deep diving into him. And it seems to me like he plagiarized a lot of people, Let's, if you want to get down to it. However, you can't plagiarize a story that's being told. Once well, so that's one thing that, that a lot of people had issues, like you said, that they thought he was plagiarizing. But he even says in the book, he says he's taking this from other writings. That he is writing down either things that he he got in a book that he borrowed from somebody or things that have been oral history. And he's writing down things that he has heard. So this is supposed to be the history. So, I mean, it is literally it's supposed to be plagiarism. So Jeffrey Monmouth called himself Galfridas Artur. It's M-O-N-E-M-U-T-E-N-S-I-S. Monomutinous, monomutinous. Anyway. No way. That's what he called himself. He was probably educated in Paris, although nobody actually knows. He became the Bishop of St. Asaph in North Wales at the end of his life. He claims to have translated the semi-legendary chronicle from an old British book that he received from a certain Walter, which was an archdeacon of Oxford. Mm-hmm. Although he never did produce that, and it's never been found. Now, it still could be found. It might be buried in some old library. It could be. It could have been donated to 
uh, a charity shop somewhere and it's sitting on a shelf. Nobody knows. It's never shown up. Could be in the Vatican's vault, for all we know. Oh, it could be, yeah, down in the Vatican. And then, you know, like we've talked about, the books in the Vatican. I mean, it could be down there. I mean, it's one of those things that it's a book that he borrowed and used that for a lot of his, his work. Some people actually think that um, the source of his information was Merlin, that Joffrey uh, Monmouth really what he he was writing down was either a book that he was was written by Merlin that he was writing down from or that he actually got the information from Merlin. And according to this article about Jeffrey, and also this is one of the things that Jeffrey of Monmouth wanted to, I guess, turn Arthur into, is he wanted his work to establish Arthur's historical and literary reputation as a powerful Christian monarch who embodies the qualities of generosity and culture and whose court provides a point of departure for kings on chivalric exploits. So to me, and that's him saying that. Yes. To me, that's him admitting that he has created a character to fit this bill. Like it's almost a political opinion of his that he's going to infuse into this character and so with that you have to have a as all good stories you have to have either a shapeshifter or a wise man or so forth and so therefore we he grabs this other mythical person merlin and fits him into that story which is very possible but i mean it's one of those things that you know, a lot of people say that Merlin pops up for the first time in Jeffrey Monmouth, but in all reality, he's popped up before that, and he's popped up all over the place, just in different methods. I talk about Robin Hood, where there's other people that fit the narrative with just a slightly different name. Well, Merlin had a lot of names, too. Yes. And this is another problem we run into. It's the same thing we ran into with Arthur and some of these other things. Because Merlin's also been called Mirden Wilt, spelled M-Y-R-D-D-I-N, and then W-Y-L-L-T. He has also been called Merlinus, or Merlinus, M-E-R-L-I-N-U-S, and Merlin Caledonus. He's also been called several other things. Merlin Dubricus Ambrosius. Ambrosius was another one. And that's probably one of the more, I, I would say, closer. When you talk about that Ambrosius character, I was looking into that character. That well, because seems... that character is one that existed. That's one that there's no doubt. I mean, people right. historically believe, I mean, he's a saint. Saint Dubricius existed. And a lot of people think Merlin, Merlin is based off him. Right. And I think there might be uh, a lot more truth to that. Just like, we found out, just like we found out with Arthur, there are some people who were very Arthur-like that they borrowed their characters from. Yeah, which would be change a lot of people's, I think, opinions of Merlin to know and realize that he might actually be Saint, like an actual canonized saint in Catholicism and be Saint Dubricius. Well, and also the whole Merlin was supposed to be, uh, I'll just say, Christianized, you know, when he got baptized and his mom became a nun, and we don't know how he was raised, but you can kind of fill in the gaps there. Yeah. But he's the first one who brought up the whole thing about the Holy Grail. Yes. 
So all this talk about the Holy Grail and the knights going after the Holy Grail all the way up to <laughs> Monty Python's The Search for the Holy Grail, all that stuff, that comes out of Merlin. Mm-hmm. No one had really heard about that up to, up to that point in any of this lore, I'll say. No. And so a lot of people wonder how, you know, why was that? How did that how did that come come about? Because there's other things that say he was a druid. Mm-hmm. And that he was a wise man of Celtic tradition, which would have had nothing to do with that. No, it would have had nothing to do because it would have been a whole different different thing. Some of them believe that he, you know, worshipped the uh, the Celtic worship of the god Lug. Right. According to Tolstoy. Yes. Tolstoy actually wrote quite a bit about yeah, Tolstoy. There was a lot. I was surprised to find so much information from Tolstoy on Merlin. I'm with you. I on did that. not realize. Yes. I did not realize that Tolstoy wrote so much about Merlin. Well, didn't he wrote a whole thing called the Quest for Merlin? Yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that was one of the ones I saw, and I, I never. Right. Saw, well, but. speaking of, so here's a few quotes from Tolstoy, and he called him Miradin. Yeah. Uh, a lot of different times, but he was talking about Merlin. He said, Mirrodin was a pagan druid or bard surviving in predominantly Christian age, and his poetry was of an overtly heathen nature. He also says, indeed, it may be that the disappearance of his original work was no accident, but the work of censorious copyist in early times. In any case, the pagan elements in the Mirrodin poetry are so archaic as to make it inconceivable that they could be concoctions of the medieval Christian mind. Hmm. So there's a lot of de- there's a little bit of debate going on there as to whether he is this wise Christian sage or he was a druid and a pagan. Interesting. Here's another one from Tolstoy. An enormous amount of speculative nonsense continues to be written on the subject of druidism, but it seems possible that Merlin was a druid or at any rate fulfilled some druidical functions. The implication seems to be present in the earliest references to his prophetic powers. The poem Armas Pridian, composed about the year 930. This prophecy of the coming expulsion of the English begins one section with the words Merlin foretells, and another with the Druid foretell, which suggests at least that these roles were similar, if not identical. So in one version it says Merlin foretells, in the other it says that the Druid foretells. Yeah. Also this from Tolstoy. The Emperor Aurelian consulted a Druidist who told him of the glorious future awaiting his descendants. His successor, Diocletian, was told by Gallish Druids that when you have killed the boar, you will indeed be Emperor, a prophecy fulfilled when he slew the prefect Arius, nicknamed the boar. Merlin frequently employs such symbolism, prophesying in the Vita Merlina that Dumbarton will fall with no king to rebuild it for an age until the Scot is defeated by a boar. And then lastly from Tolstoy, possibly in name and certainly in function, he, speaking of Merlin, was the chief druid who presided over rituals necessary to preserve the harmony of the natural order so there's a some pretty good proof that merlin was a druid yeah 
The one thing I do want to say is Nikolai Nikolai Tolstoy that we're talking about is not the same as Leo Tolstoy. No. So Leo Tolstoy wrote War and Peace. Nikolai yeah. is. It sounds like there's somehow because Nikolai Tolstoy wrote the introduction to War and Peace, but Leo Tolstoy wrote it. So right. When we're talking Tolstoy, we're talking Nikolai, completely different writer, but he wrote a lot of his or historical, but still, I mean, some very fascinating things on what he wrote. You know about Merlin. I also read another article that said was claiming that the Merlin character first of all it says Merlin is a central mythical character in the world of King Arthur. So that's where this this one's starting that it is a mythical character. Mm -hmm. And according to this author claimed the character was probably an amalgam of Meridian Wilt a bard and wild man of the Caledonian forest in Welsh traditions, Ambrosius Aurelianus, a warrior prophet who was among the last of the Romans in Britain and possibly a local pagan god whose cult was associated with the Welsh town of Camarthen from Caer Meridian, meaning Merlin's fort or castle. So you can kind of see where we're at here. Basically, at the same place we were with Arthur. Yes. And where you were with Robin Hood. Yes. That you have a lot of disputes going on here as to was Merlin real? Was he one person? Was he several different people rolled into one? Was he Christian? Was he pagan? Was he Celtic? Was he Druid? Was, you know, so. Merlin's all over the place. He was. And it's interesting to me that they have, in a lot of ways, brought him into a singular character over time. Yeah. There's another quote that I read. I'm not sure who this is from. It says, Merlin was indeed a historical figure living in what are now the lowlands of Scotland at the end of the 6th century AD. He was an authentic prophet most likely a druid surviving in a pagan enclave of the north. Much of the early poetry attributed to him in Welsh manuscripts is drawn, it seems most likely, from an earlier body of authentic prophetic verse uttered by Merlin himself. I'm just reading a quote. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's true. Well, that's one that I saw too, was north, in the north of Carlisle in Scotland, right? Um, that this was the the one that a lot of people can call Myrdin, M-Y-R-D-D-I-N, and say he went mad after the the, the battle of Ardeard, um in the second half of the sixth century, and went off into the woods and just kind of became a madman. Yeah, that's a great story. It uh, is. Basically, the story is written by Analis Cambria. It was, happened in 573, where this... Bearden, yeah, he went crazy and ran off. And then supposedly in the middle of uh, communing with the wildlife, he gained this gift of prophecy. Yes. And, and yeah, in his madness, he became the gift of prophecy and became a prophet. And a lot of people say that's another one of the the, the ways that he became Merlin, that Mirdrin is Merlin. So I did find a problem with that, though. And some of the refutations of it, and one of the most strongest was this. It says the problem with this story, if you want to call it a problem, is that it, 
Man flees, war goes crazy, and forest is a Celtic folklore motive. It shows up in at least one other Britonic tale, as well as in the Gaelic tradition. And then it's uh, the madness of Sweeney, or the frenzy of Sweeney, which is a famous story from Irish mythology. So it shows up several times. Yes. And so again, did they copy, or did he copy? Yeah, which becomes another one of those things. I mean, it's one of those things we run into when we talk about the Bible. How many times there's stories in other languages from before that could very much fit, you know, the story of Jesus, but from a different time frame. You know, and that's kind of one of those things is, I mean, is it basically history repeating itself or is it the story repeating itself? Here's another quote that I read by an author. He says, what seems clear is that King Arthur's Merlin, as described by Geoffrey of Monmouth, was a combination of two separate historical characters. One was Myrden Wilt, and the second was Ambrosius Arlianus, a war leader of the Romano-British who won an important battle against the Anglo-Saxons in the 400s. The result of this merger was the wizard Merlin Ambrosius. And apparently that is his name in several writings, Merlin Ambrosius. Yeah. And that's a, that's the one time, that's the only time I've seen them give him a last name was the Merlin Ambrosius. Other than that, I, I only ever saw just as Merlin, Merlin or Mirden or something like that. I'm with you on that because in all of the writings and all of the tales and all of the great books I've ever read, I've only seen him referred to as Merlin. Yeah, and so I'd never heard that he had a, a last name. So there's another guy here that's a French holy man that supposedly is the persona behind Merlin as well, and his name is St. Martin. St. Martin was known for shutting down pagan shrines and rituals, whereas Merlin was known to be a builder and a practitioner of them. So what did this Villemarquet see in St. Martin that made him think of Merlin? It was probably his superpowers, because apparently, according to myth, this guy... St. Martin had uh, some kind of superpowers at the time. And he was a wise man, and he showed up at different times where he was uh, you know, giving whatever wisdom to yeah. the, the leaders and so forth. I find that, I think that one's a far stretch. Which a lot of these end up being far stretches. There's been a few where you're like, okay, I, I think you're kind of reaching a little bit now. Also, it says Jeffrey of Monmouth even wrote about Tailson in Vita Merlina, having likely drawn inspiration from an earlier poem, and I cannot pronounce this. It's <laughs> it's spelled Y M D D I D D A N, Meridian, uh, Thaleson, which basically translates the conversion between Meridian and Tailson, which was featured in the Black Book of Carmarthen which goes to another example of how a lot of people believe Jeffrey of Monmouth, who claims he had this book, actually borrowed this stuff because he was very educated, this Jeffrey of Monmouth. Yeah, he was, he was, I mean, his whole life was basically being a historian. So, I mean, he was very educated. He'd read a lot of things. So, and I mean, listened to a lot of oral history. That's one of the yep. things he was, he was known for was this, he was sort of a chronicler of things. Mm-hmm. But then a lot of people claim that he was borrowing stuff and actually plagiarizing 
They claim he borrowed formative moments and biological details from Meridian Wilt and Ambrosius, obviously, we've talked about that, in order to give Merlin more depth. In the prophecies of Merlin, he didn't tell readers much about the character, so when it came to further writings, he had to write more. Well, and there's a lot of that where it seems like there's there's a couple times in Jeffrey Monmouth in that book, when you're reading it, that there's a couple stories that if you really pay attention, like a minute, this is the same story and you're attributing it to somebody else. It's just from a different point of view. Yes. And it happens a couple times and with different outcomes and you're reading it like you're, you're attributing almost the exact, the exact same story to a different character. So there's a couple of those in there where it seems like, you know, he wasn't very good about that. I mean, he took a lot of that oral history, but like we said, it's oral history. And that was, and so, yeah, that to me is the bigger issue there is taking oral history. Who knows how many hands it's passed through and how many people have actually, you know, tacked on to the, the story. Yeah. Like you said, it's the telephone game. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly is. It's a telephone game where all of a sudden, you know, well, it's not that interesting. I mean, they, there was a fight. They won. You know, let's throw a couple dragons in there. And let's throw some of this in there. And now all of a sudden it's an exciting story. It's like when we talked about before, you know, when years, you know, a couple of years ago, I think when I was, I did a couple of stories where I talked about, I, I went and actually just talked about movies and said, hey, here's a movie that's based on a real story, but here's the real story behind it where you actually get that. And I think there was a lot of that here where it was like, this is based on a real story, but it's kind of boring. So I'm going to add some things to make it more interesting. Yeah. There was also another Welsh trickster and magician named Gwydion G W Y D I O N. I don't know if you ran across this character. A lot of people believe they borrowed from this character. It was not, it was a myth. It was a mythological character in Welsh stories. Yeah. A lot of the legends of this Gwyndian, I believe that's how you say it, because he was a shapeshifter, he was kind of a trickster. A lot of people say, well, Merlin wasn't a trickster, but some stories and early stories of Merlin, he was a trickster. Yeah. They both served as magical advisor and protector to Arthur. Gwyndian is the mentor and guardian of his nephew, Liu a child who eventually becomes the king of Gwynedd. So there's a lot of comparisons there. So as again, who stole from who? Or was it just a continuation of these oral stories? And, and I think that's what it comes down to is I think it's one of the hardest parts. And that's the hardest part of doing any kind of history beyond like 1300s, 12,000, you know, AD is there's not a lot of history written before that. There wasn't a lot of places that really documented everything because we really, the only people who knew how to read and write were the priests and the higher, you know, the Kings and Queens and everything else. You had to pretty much be one of the, 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 the 1% to know how to do all that stuff. So a lot of the stuff that was written down, and that's where a lot of people think like with Robin Hood and King Arthur and stuff like that, where the people that would could write this down and knew how to write this down didn't want these written down. Right. Well, I so mean, it was really when Thomas Mallory in, I think it was, it was 1469, he was an English author. He's the one that mm -hmm. actually sort of, I'll just say congealed everything and sort of, reintroduced or introduced what we'll call modern Merlin 
to English speaking audiences and he he borrowed because it, it had made its rounds through the French and through all these other different places. And so he sort of, in my opinion, did kind of like what Mallory did. He took all of those versions that had been I was fleshed out and then he brought it all together and wrote Le Morte de Arthur. Uh, which was a retelling of many of the previous Arth Arthurian legends. It was based mainly on French versions from the 13th and 14th centuries. Essentially became the official canon of Arthurian legends, and it was the definitive source for future authors and poets who would write their own stories about Arthur, like Tennyson and Steinbeck. And Mallory de-emphasized Merlin's demonic side that had become popular over the previous few centuries. So there was a time when you were hearing this tale that Merlin wasn't that great of a guy. Yeah. That he was, a, I mean, it, like you said, he was a trickster and he was a shapeshifter and he was kind of conniving and he was out for his own gain, not the good of others. Yeah. And I think the part that came up with like the Uther and Pendragon where he like, you know, but that one too, you could argue the fact that he knew that if Uther didn't do this, he was so fascinated with this girl, this woman, that he would have done other things that would have killed more people. So he, he he was doing for the better of the people. But a lot of the stuff I read was the original stories, kind of like Robin Hood, where he was a lot darker, a lot less moral person. But then the problem you run into, are you looking at today's morals or those morals? And that's where the hard part is. A lot of the heroes, if people knew the origins of these heroes and what they really did and how much it doesn't fit the morals of today um i think they'd have a lot more problems with them yeah well let's talk about uh real quick about how merlin died or didn't die yeah so there's several different versions of this as well probably the most popular of course is that he died at the hands of the lady of the lake mm -hmm. and there's a couple of different <laughs> versions of that even there's one that he was tricked into being sealed into a rock leaving him in it until she and only she can revoke the spell yep there's another one where he was sealed into a tree i think it was yeah the one that one of the ones i saw the most common one i saw in that aspect was he was sealed into a tree that the Lady of the Lake convinced him to somehow teach her his magic. And in doing so, she used his own magic to trap him in the tree. There's another tale where Merlin, at the hands of some shepherds and, other, and under the king, Meldred was stoned and beaten. There's also another one where a group of shepherds, they were chasing him and he fell off a cliff into a river and he was impaled on a stake. That sounds painful. Yeah, and then he and then he got caught up in a fisherman's net and drowned. So there's no one way that Merlin passed away or died. I mean, there's also legend that he's he disappeared. He sort of went off into the woods, and he's waiting for the right time, maybe for Arthur to come back and call him or whatever. There's lots of different theories as to where what that is. And that comes back to the tree. There's a lot of people that b believe that the one Myrdred or Myrd whatever, the crazy man of, you know, um, of Wales, which aren't they all crazy in Wales, but um, that he went into the forest and sat down next to a tree in his madness. And then the tree, the, the tree just grew around him. 
Right. Yeah. He, he fell asleep or went into a trance or a coma and it was, it was there so long the tree engulfed him. Yeah. So, and in that case too, where a lot, it wasn't that he was trapped by the lady of the lake. He just sat there and sat there long enough that he's now in the tree waiting for someone, King Arthur, in many people's, you know, opinions to bring him out to free him. Yeah. So according to this one, Merlin prophesied that he's about to die a triple death and asked St. Kentigerm for the sacrament. The saint grants his wish. Prophecy is fulfilled the same day. He's captured by the shepherds of King Meldred, beaten with clubs, cast into the river Tweed, where his body is pierced by a stake and then caught up in a net. And so he died three times, actually. That sounds horrible. It does sound terrible. Also, it's believed that there's a time when Arthur will return and he will basically sit on the, you know, to the right hand of the throne, the throne with him and rule again, which goes back to a lot of the biblical references. Yeah. So I guess we get down to it. <laughs> Once again, what are your thoughts on all of this? And there's a lot. We were talking about this before we started. There's oh, yeah. more on there, Merlin there's, than any of these other characters. And there's so many different routes we could have gone on this. Um, so many different things, like you mentioned. There's so many different names that he has. So many different ideas of where he came from. I think out of all of them, this is definitely the one where it, this is a... It, it's a mixture of a bunch of different stories. All brought into one to make one amazingly powerful magician. And I mean, the the heart, the, the thing that makes me so impressed with him and like the story of him is that he was destined to be the Antichrist. But if there was ever a story that talked about the free will of man, this was it. He was destined to be the Antichrist. He was born to be the Antichrist. And his free will said, you know, I don't want to do that. I think his mom also helped determine that. Yeah. She's like, I'm not participating in this any more than what already happened. Yeah. Yeah, I think Merlin is a fantastic character. And I love great characters, and Merlin is definitely one. And in my reading of who Merlin is or what Merlin is, obviously I, I have to fall in with he's a character that's made up and brought together by many, many, many different aspects of either notable people or notable mythological figures. Yeah. So Merlin did not exist. Merlin couldn't have existed. What we know of Merlin now is you go back several hundred years, that's not how they saw Merlin. No. Because they were taught different things about Merlin, where he was from, who he was. And I think also, depending on what part of the world you were in, before we had mass media and we had the Disney version and we had all the different stuff, I think Merlin was different depending upon whatever region of the world you were in. Yeah. But I do think like you, I think this character for me anyway, embodies a lot of the things that I would like to be. He is in a way sort of a Christ like figure. I mean, he, but he's human at the same time, right? He makes mistakes. He yes. lets his guard down. He falls for the wrong person. If you're reading all of it correctly, he he gets mad. He has emotion. 
But at the same time, he is out for the ultimate good. And he's out to help yeah. and he's out to be wise. And I think he's an awesome character. I, I think he's too, because you bring up a great point. Because the thing is, he's not... We all look at some of our heroes. You look at King Arthur. You look at some of these others, and they become infallible. These are characters that can never make a mistake, can never do anything. Where Merlin, if you look at him from you know the basics of his origin or to what we think of him now, he's a character that was born fallible, fouled, totally wrong. I mean, the 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 his father was a demon. He's half demon. And he his should destiny, be the worst. His destiny was destruction of yes. pretty much Earth. Yeah, his destiny was to destroy all of us and destroy because a lot of people don't realize. I mean, if you read the Bible, the whole purpose of Lucifer, I mean, Lucifer is such an important part, part of the Bible. There's only four angels that are actually named in the Bible. Lucifer is one of those four, you know. The whole point was to ruin mankind because he felt that we had more than he should have. They birthed Merlin to do that. And to show that he came from those origins, but yet determined and free use his own free will to say, you know, I'm going to work for mankind. I'm going to make my free will and do what I want. And it shows that to be a great hero, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to have perfect intentions. Yeah. And that's what I love about him. I'm with you on that. I think he has a character, which is that's what he is. Yes. Merlin is not a real person. He's not a historical person. No. And I think you can look around even today and find bits of Merlin, some of our actual heroes or people you look up to, even just in your own life. Yeah. That's the beauty of Merlin. Merlin embodies all those things that, you know, like a father figure, wise sage, you know, he's funny, he's, he gets depressed, sometimes he gets angry, he obviously has, you know, a sex drive, and yeah. he, he's, he's a guy, and he's sort of been through it all, and he can offer you and impart wisdom if, you, if you're willing to accept it, and that's the beauty of Merlin, and I think that's what I like about this character, and it's a character, so... Mm -hmm. it's interesting that we've gone through these three call them kind of the trinity of this medieval time period and that they're all just beautiful wonderful characters that have been created taking bits and pieces from actual people but i do think it would be impossible for one person to be all of these outside of if you go with the biblical christ yeah I think it's impossible, but I think it's something that we all should and hopefully we do, uh, you know, try to achieve on some level. We'd yeah. be a much better place. Be a much better place if we all try to achieve that. All right. Well, that's it for Merlin. And I have the midweek episode, so I'm looking forward to that. So we'll be back uh, next week with a brand new episode. I hope everybody has a great week. In the meantime, you can email us down the RH at protonmail.com. Down the RH at protonmail.com. Hit us up. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Big D. I'm Brandon. We're out of here. See you later.